This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 272. And the quote of the day is from Arthur Miller, who said, you specialize in something until one day you find it specializing in you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this is session 272. And if you want to check out the rest of them, you can go over to drummersresource.com, and they're also on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, all those places where you typically listen to podcasts. It's all there, all 272 episodes. And this particular episode is with Blair Sinta. And this, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Blair before we get into it. This is right from his website, but Blair's been a professional drummer in LA for about 20 years and he's recorded and toured with Alanis Morissette, Annie Lennox, Adina Mazel, Chris Cornell, Stevie Nicks, Glenn Ballard, Damian Rice, Dave Stewart, Melissa Etheridge, Better Than Ezra, Josh Groban, Five for Fighting, Modest Yahoo, Anastasia, My Brightest Diamond, and many others. He also specializes in creating custom drum tracks and compositions and production. And we talk about a lot of that inside of the, uh, in the interview and just about how he's really he's really carved out a niche uh, for himself in in that area of of these custom drum tracks drum drum tracks excuse me uh, also one thing that I would like to note uh, you know I, I just said that he had toured with Chris Cornell and obviously Chris has just recently passed away and it's now learned that he was suffering from depression um, and maybe um, there may have been some other things involved but there's been numerous people mentioning depression and I, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't say something to you the audience I have I mean there's tens and thousands of people who listen to this podcast and I consider you friends I consider you family I consider you part of the the musician brotherhood and sisterhood and I I want to let you know that if if any of you are suffering from any of this reach out and talk to somebody call a friend call a family member uh you know call a stranger call anyone to to talk about it and know that there are other options and if not if you don't want to go to this with your friends and your family and all that call me seriously i mean shoot me a message facebook instagram twitter whatever i'll give you my phone number we can get on the phone i don't care what time it is it doesn't matter but just there are options and i want to i want to offer that to all of you i'm by no means a doctor or a psychologist or a you know a therapist by any means but if you need somebody to talk to talk to me i i'm i'm happy to uh to talk to you guys about anything and uh, I just want to put that out there because, like I said, I consider everyone who listens to this podcast family, and I want you to know that as much as you have all been here for me, I want to be here for you as much as I can. So uh, not to be, you know, I don't want to sound morbid or anything. I want to I want to let everyone know, though, that they're all in this together and, and we can help pick each other up. So uh, I'm here for you. So let's get into this interview with Blair Sinta. Again, great interview, uh, great conversation that we have. And he's been around for a very long time. So he has a ton of information, a ton of knowledge, uh, a bunch of nuggets in there. And also we talk about carving out that niche like I had mentioned. So here we go. Let's get into it without further ado with the one and only Blair Sinta. Blair Sinta, how are you, my man? I'm great, Nick. Good to be talking to you. Yeah, likewise. This actually happened pretty quickly. I mean, we met, what, last week at uh, at Drum Channel? Last week at Drum Channel, yep. yeah. So now, I mean, when people listen to it, it'll be a few weeks, but sometimes these interviews take, you know, six months, a year to line up, and we're like, we're, we're on it. We're professional. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, no, <laughs> literally, I think uh, the ne- the day after we met, we... we uh, texted or whatever and then we set up set it up and here we are i yeah. like it i like it yeah that's how we Me operate too. <laughs> yeah so i i want to build a little bit of context for the listeners who may not be familiar with who you are you know some of your work and things like that i knew that or i know that you you were born in ann arbor michigan right and yes but i want i want to talk just a little bit about how you got sort of the drumming bug how you got into it and then we can start diving into more of your career and, and how how you got to where you are now 
Sure. Um, so both my parents were music, are musicians, were musicians. Um, my father is a classical saxophonist. He's actually a quite well-known classical saxophonist. And he, uh, he, he, he was a professor at the university of Michigan for 40 years. Oh, wow. And my, yeah. And my mother was, um, a public school music teacher and taught piano lessons and flute lessons when, when my brother and I were kids at home. Um, so I had music in my house, like, you know, always, and we were, you know, they would take us to orchestra concerts and band concerts and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, definitely a very classical oriented household. My parents did not listen to pop music really. Um, and were you into it? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of, it wasn't like, I didn't really know any better, you know, it was like, that was what they played. You know, I had this weird thought, I had this weird idea until I became, you know, a teenager that, once you got to be older and adult, then you listen to classical music and, and pop and kids listen to pop music. And then you just eventually did that. Like that was, that's what was in my head for, you know, as I was growing up, you know, and I would get into cars with my friends and their parents would have like some pop radio station. And I'd be like, well, that's weird. You know? Like, right. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was, that was just one of those things of like, you know, my house. So, um, I started piano when I was about seven or eight. And then in fifth grade, you know, typical to a lot of public schools at that time, it was, you know, time to start band. Um, and I wanted to be, I wanted to play drums. Um, and, uh, my parents said, no, we want you to play a melodic instrument. So I said, okay, well I'll play saxophone. And, and my father being who he is, he, that was tricky because I'd be, I'd be practicing in the basement and he'd be, you know, on the second floor of the house yelling through the vents telling me, you know, yeah, you're out of tune, you know? And like, right. <laughs> it was like, Oh you're like, man. Let me figure it out, dad. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next year I, my father was also a director at interlock and, um, the national music camp. Uh, so we would be up there in the summers and I would, uh, at, at that's one of those summers I took some class where I was able to, you know, kind of check out all instruments like, you know, violin, string instruments, uh, you know, different horns, things like that. And, and so I finally got to play drums and I was like, look, I want to do this. And like, okay, cool. So in sixth grade, I played saxophone and drums in the band and I auditioned for our all city, uh, uh, band at the end of that year. And I made first chair in, in, in the percussion section and in saxophone. So I got a phone call from, you know, whoever that was. And they said, you got to pick one of these. Right. And, uh, right. and that was it. I picked, I said, I want to play drums. Like, okay, cool. So I, that was probably the last day I ever played saxophone. So why <laughs> there, there's something that I've, I'm starting to notice with the guests. It only took me 260 people, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of guys on here who started playing saxophone before they started playing drums. Really? Yeah. I mean, even okay. I I was talking to Chris Myers yesterday from Umphreys McGee. He was a saxophone player. I mean, there was there was many people. I, I would say like probably thirty or forty people that I've had on here. They're like, oh yeah, I started with the saxophone, and I I and so I guess I'm curious why why you started with the sax. Was it because of your dad? I'm guessing. Uh, you know, I don't really know. I think it was because of my dad. I could right. I I have I could not pinpoint that. That, I got to figure out the wide. drummer saxophone connection. Yeah. I mean, saxophone's a cool instrument, you right. know? I mean, right. And it probably, you know, definitely back when I was a kid, it was way more popular, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not like the 60s in the, in like, you know, the John Coltrane era of tenor saxophone, but, you know. Right. But yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I couldn't, t- <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> so you're like, all right, I'm done with the saxophone. I'm going to start playing drums. So yeah, and, were, you, were you naturally... So, like it doesn't seem like you were playing drums that long before you were you were really starting to excel. Yeah, it, yes, I would say naturally it was. I wouldn't say it was easy, but it. it I I just loved it. You know what I mean. So I just I practiced all the time. I my you know so that in seventh grade my father bought me a drum kit, and that was it, man. I was down there for hours a day, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I was ma- mainly self-taught, you know. It, so at this point, I started taking percussion lessons but it was classical oriented so i was playing marimba Mm -hmm. and i was taking classical snare drum um Mm -hmm. and the the 
drum set was all on my own, you know, and that was just, you know, discovering, you know, John Bonham and Neil Peart and right. Stuart Copeland and, and all that stuff was on my own. So and I did that pretty much. I mean, I took a few lessons here and there uh, up until I got to college, but that was just me playing it. And then I was I think by the time I hit seventh or eighth grade, I was in a band. I was in some kind of rock band all through high school. Right. You know, it's amazing, yeah. you know, connecting the dots, looking back of how studying all this class classical percussion helps with your drum set playing. I, I know even myself when I was in college and I was doing all this class classical percussion stuff, I was sort of like, man, I just want to, you know, I'm a, I'm a rock drummer, you know, like I'm a rock, mm-hmm. folk, that kind of guy. And I was mm-hmm. like, in the beginning, I was sort of like, ah, I don't really see how this is, this is really going to help my, my drum set playing. But then you start playing right. marimba and you start learning about chord changes and you start learning, you know, you start learning a lot about dynamics and parts and, and how all these things work together Looking yeah. back, you know, it's like, wow, this was really, this really, really helps your drum set playing. Well, yeah, I just think overall musicality, right? Sure. I mean, if, when you're playing music, uh, uh, classical music, it's it's not about consistent time. It's about following a conductor, playing dynamically in a group, and and uh, you know, I don't know, knowing where you are, counting a lot, right? Counting right. a lot of rests, and you know, being aware of of what's happening in the whole ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause it's yeah. one thing to sit in your basement and shed over John Bonham and just, you know, not have to worry about dynamics or whether you're stepping on anybody's toes or how you're playing with yep. other people. You're just, you know, at, at, on some level, you're sort of just blasting through it, you know, if you want to. Yeah. And, and you're also exposed to like, you know, whether you're playing timpani, you know, you're tuning or, you know, you have to play crash cymbals, you know, in, in an orchestral setting, you're, you're holding them. And then you set those down and you walk over to a snare drum and play that. So you're really, you know, exposed to a lot of those things as opposed to them being in, in one spot. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So where did you where did you go to college? I went to North Texas, University ah. of North Texas. Went there in 91. I studied with Ed So for yeah. three and a half years of my of my five years there or four, four and a half years. And uh, yeah, that was cool. I, I got a. I always call it the wor- most worthless degree on the planet. I have a bachelor in jazz performance, <laughs> uh, but I do have a degree, so that's I'm cool, you know. And you studied with Ed Sof. <laughs> yeah, and I studied with Ed, which was amazing. Yeah, and in fact, he uh, he's about to retire. I and when we finish this, I have to record a video message and send it for his retirement party this weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was gonna say he's retiring this year, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, obviously great for him, but it's sort of like it's sad for the drumming community because there's so it, many people. I had him on the podcast, hands down, the most downloaded podcast. Like, really? Uh, I have yeah. to check that out. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's, wow. it's, it's, I mean, like leaps and bounds above everyone else's. It's like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads. Yeah. You know, it's I'm insane. sure you've talked to a lot of, a lot of people that have studied with him. He was really hard, man. But in the long run, uh, you know, he exposed me to, to so much that it, it gave me a career. You know what I mean? The the tools that he gave me, you know, have allowed me to adapt to, I feel like a lot of styles of music and really survive. But it was sort of tough love, wasn't it? I mean, like he, he was very like supportive, but hard at the same time. Always, always. Yeah. It was just, you know, it was like some days you walk out of there and you're like, man, I, I don't know how to play drums. Like literally, you're like, like I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what right, I mean? Right. Um, but it's not meant as it was never meant as a, um, like, hey, hey, kid, you suck. You know, it was mm-hmm. just like, you have to get this shit down if you want to survive in the business. Right. You know? Right. It, you know. So, and you know, that's, I mean. When you're in the moment and when you're younger, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, and you don't always have that perspective of like, you know, I'm 43 now. So that's easy to look back and and do that. But, you know, it, it, at that time and you're surrounded by all these other uh, amazing drummers and musicians, you just you you know, it can it's tough. You know, you feel like, you know, you're just wondering if you can survive in that environment, you know. Mm-hmm. So, did you but, go yeah, there specifically for Ed? Did you know that was the guy? Like, you um, had to... Yeah, I did. I went down to audition um, and yeah, I just knew. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend, this great drummer named Robbie O'Sharian who lives in, in Michigan 
Um, and he kind of was like, man, you should come down and check it out. And once I went there and auditioned, I was, I was offered a scholarship and I never went and looked anywhere else. You know, I had planned on checking out Miami. Um, and I had looked at USC at the time, Mm -hmm. but once I went there, I was like, this is it. You know, I was like, it was so drum centric, you know, between marching percussion and and the different ensembles and, and the, the, the jazz program that I saw and the percussion you know, thing. I was like, that's, that's like heaven right now. So sure. yeah. And before yeah. you went there, were you already determined to say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do as a career. Did you already know that? Or were you sort of, you know, thinking, Oh, I'll go through college and then I'll see where, where I end up at the end. No, I was determined. I was, when I was 12, I was determined. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, there wasn't, I don't know what it was, but when I was, you know, by the time I was 13 or 14, I was like, I'm going to move to LA and and do this, you know, nice. There was no doubt in my, there, I was, it was a one track. I had a one track mind, right. you know, for better or worse. You know, I wish, <laughs> you know, I wish I could have expanded a little more on, you know, different things when I was younger, but that's, that's all I ever thought about. You right. Know? Like what's up, what are some yeah. things that, that you wish you would have focused on? Well, you know, I, I look back at, at, at college and I wish, oh, maybe, maybe I had been involved in whatever I could have been involved in the, in the music department, but maybe been, been an English major or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. like different parts of art started to become more important to me uh, almost immediately after I got out of school, you know, like, right. uh, you know, discovering like, you know, um, modern art, like, you know, Picasso and, and things like that and reading more and things like that. Just all of a sudden they became way more important where mm-hmm. I don't know why then, but it was, uh, those kind of things, even though my parents kind of like, were like, Hey, you know, check out this or check out this. I was like, like, I was like, you know, whatever, that's what teenagers do. I was like, no, <laughs> is that like, drums? No, never mind. I don't want to look at it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that a modern drummer magazine? No. Is that a, you know, is that a new rush record? No, I don't care. You right. know? <laughs> Coincidentally, I went, I went to school for, for business and was sitting in class and was thinking, man, I just, I don't care about any of this stuff. I want to be playing right. drums, went, became a music performance major and remember sitting there saying, mm, I don't think I need a degree for me to play mm-hmm. music. So I, so I ended up switching back to business anyway. Interesting. Yeah. I, mean, I ended up missing it. Yeah. That's something that would have been great. You know, some different types of business skills to be able to think in those terms, you know, which especially are important now, you know, right. Um, they were less important, you know, in the early to mid nineties because it was like, Oh, you know, get a record deal or, or just, you know, be a working gigging drummer. Whereas now you have to be able to build your own, you know, brand, the, sure. you know, that the niche, you know, catch word, but mm-hmm. you know, that whole thing, uh, that would have been, it might've been, uh, it's super valuable now, mm-hmm. you know, and it might've been nice to have that kind of thinking. Cause I listen to a lot of podcasts about, you know, you know, um, business stuff, whether, whether it's some of the things that we talked about earlier or, or like, you know, social media marketing and things like Mm -hmm. that, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, the good thing is you're in luck. It's like, uh, Matt Damon said, you spent 150 grand on an education that you could have got for a dollar 50 in late charges at the public library. (laughs) 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Luckily for Matt Damon, 150 grand goes, you know, like that's, he probably has that in his wallet. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it was actually, it was, it was, uh, Matt Damon's character in Goodwill Hunting. So. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. 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 But he's like the the genius kid or whatever. Right. That's an interesting story about that. They just wrote that, that, uh, movie and somehow got Robin Williams involved with it. And then the whole thing took off, but that's a whole different. Yeah. That that worked out well, huh? Yeah, Yeah. I think they're doing, I think they're doing okay. Yeah. So you moved. So how old were you when you when you finally moved to L.A.? Um, I was twenty two. Mm, so you were young. Yeah, I was twenty two. Yeah, I uh, I graduated in North Texas in the fall of ninety five, December of ninety five. Um, I did a New Year's Eve gig in Dallas, uh, and then on January third, I drove to L.A. Nice. Yeah. And the reason why I ask is because I would imagine that you have 
a different perspective now than you did when you first moved there. Obviously, I'm, you know, you're a you're a young, wide-eyed kid and, and want to take everything in. But how do you how has the the landscape changed since you've gotten there? And how, and sort of what would be the advice that you have for anyone who's saying I'm I want to do what Blair did. I want to move to L.A. and I want to get these gigs, these high-level gigs. Where where do you see that now? Well, it's definitely different now because the the in, the music industry is so different. Um, and, you know, of course, I, I get this question a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is there is there a different way to do it? I don't I don't know if there's a really a different way to do it. If you want to be in a scene like Nashville or L.A. or whatever's left in New York, you got to go there and you got to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no there's no substitute for that. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people think that there's like this secret sauce. You know, of like, yeah, exactly. Oh, how did you do? It's like I fucking worked. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, my overnight success was six years. Right. You know. Right. Like, from the time I moved to L.A. on January third of '96 to when I got the Alanis Morissette gig, even though I had been working, you know, for, you know, six years as a drummer, like those those were a long six years. You know, I I finally got a tour after three years of being in L.A. Um and toured in a van with an artist named Jude, you know, for about nine months. And that was, that was great, you know, but it was also like, you know, at the time I was making like, you know, for me, it felt like a lot of money. It wasn't a lot of money, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but what would I say to someone? I, you just got to do it. You know, there's no, if you really want to be a part of it, you just got to do it. Um, unfortunately things are different now with, um, with tours and, and the, the kind of financial, I don't think the opportunities for financial success are as big. Um, but I think there's different ways to go about it. Right. Um, that, that we're all trying to, we're still all trying to figure out. Sure. And you know, years ago and, and you can attest to this too. I mean, and even before your time, you know, when you look at like guys like Hal Blaine and all those guys, they could do, they could either do session work or they could do road work and they made, a ton of money and now right it, it's just a matter of of diversifying and saying okay i'm gonna tour i'm gonna do i'm gonna do clinics i'm gonna write books i'm gonna do this thing i'm gonna do this thing and you sort yep. of and uh chase jarvis who owns who's the ceo of creative live i had him on the podcast sure. and yep one thing he said that i thought was really cool was that we're all a bunch of hyphens everyone is turning into hyphens mm-hmm and that by I think it's by the year 2020, 52 Americans are going to have more than one job or some sort of side hustle. 52 percent of Americans. Wow. 52 million. 52 million Americans will have yeah. a second job. Wow. Yep. Or some sort of like side hustle thing. So I think we're all sort of getting there. You know, it's so hard. Like, oh, what do you do? You're like, well, I guess I'm a I'm a drummer, but I also do this thing and I, I do this other thing. And I do this thing. And, you know, I've, I've, I string all of these things together and that's how I make a living. Yeah. And well, it used to be, it used to be, are you going to be a studio drummer or a road drummer? Right. right. That was like, that was like a decision that you would kind of try to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was never able to like, I shouldn't say I wasn't able to, I, you know, I was always back and forth right? no matter what. Um, but and these for you, days, you I, prefer being in the studio, right? I mean, if I really had it my way, I would, yes. I would live in a studio, you mm-hmm. know, um, I, you know, the touring thing is a double edged sword. I have young kids and I like being home, but I also like going out and playing every night. You know, I do sure. like the lifestyle of being on the road, but I get tired of it quickly because I miss my, my family, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you know, sitting on airplanes these days is like not as exciting as it used to be, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it used I to be, it. I used to love it, you know, a long haul flight to, to London, you know, 11 hours. It was like sitting in a business class seat. That was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> right. Now you're like, oh, uh, I still got seven and a half hours. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the business class anymore, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know, there's very few guys that can say I'm a, I am a studio drummer. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. very few yeah you know, they're they're doing both so it's funny because um, uh uh why can't i think of his last name aaron um he plays with john Sterling? Merrill. yeah well, i'm like why yeah. i just totally blanked on his name mm-hmm. uh i remember him saying you know he 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 doesn't go on the road 
He's like, I mm-hmm. don't go on the road. And then John Mayer's like, you're going on the road. <laughs> He's like, come on, you're yeah, coming well. with me. He's like, all right, I guess I'll go. But he was pretty, from what I hear, he was, I don't, I don't know him uh, personally, but from what I hear, he was pretty reluctant to go and still like, you got to go, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't, you know, Aaron's, Aaron's a friend of mine. I can't, mm-hmm. but obviously I can't speak to, you know, his thing, but he definitely, you know, he manages to stay in town most of the time. And yeah, he doesn't really, he doesn't really tour, you know, I right. mean, uh, I think when someone like John asks you to go and I'm sure it was financially a good idea for him to go, right. you know, right. so I'm guessing, you know, sure. So yeah. what, what was the first, let's call it like the first big gig that you got? Was it the Alanis Morissette gig? Yeah. Yeah. I had played, you know, I had played with plenty of people before then, but it, nobody was like that, you know, that kind of name. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was Alanis. Uh-huh. And the, the one thing that I, <clears throat> that I always think about is how one thing leads to the next, one thing leads to the next. And mm-hmm. even you know Nate Morton said, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm like dying over here. Uh, Nate Moore was saying, you know, success in in music business or any business is just you're you're walking across a a bridge, but you're building it as you're walking across. And so, what were what do you think were some of the steps to getting you from sort of where you were to the Atlantis gig? I like I like breaking that stuff down a little bit because I yep. think it's I think it's good for the listeners to to know that you didn't get to L.A. make three phone calls and next week you're on tour with Atlantis Morissette. Right. You know? Mine's quite, mine's quite clear of how I got there. Um, there's a guy in LA named Barry Squire and in the nineties, uh, he, Barry still works around town and he still does this stuff. But at, at the time with the, when the business was different, like he, he, you he know, the all guy, the cattle right? calls went, went through, went through Barry, um, whether they were drummers or guitar players or keyboard players, but he was the guy that labels would call to to have guys come down and audition for bands. Mm-hmm. Um, was it just so drummers got, or was it? No, it was anybody. anybody. It was guitar okay. players, keyboard players, anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I met Barry. I got on Barry's list. Like, I mean, I don't remember how I met him, but I got on his list quite early. Um, so I think maybe around 97 or something like that. So I started auditioning a lot. Um, and you know, you learn a lot from that stuff. You know, at North Texas, we auditioned all the time. It was like, you know, a couple times a semester, you were auditioning for different things. So I was never phased by auditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, and a lot of these things, I feel like I would, I maybe would have gotten, sorry, I'm a little off subject, No, but I may, maybe would have gotten, but I didn't really have much of a look. I was really skinny, small white guy with like, I just, you know, I just didn't really have any vibe at that time. I hadn't really lived life enough, you know, to like, to, I don't know. I was just kind of a square college kid still right. living in LA. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so anyway, so, uh, through Barry, I finally landed this, 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 um, gig with this guy, Jude, who was on Maverick records and Jude was managed by this guy, Scott Welch, who also managed Alanis. Um, so I toured with Jude for, you know, like I said, nine months in a van and then, um, Next record that came out, um, I started touring with him on that, uh, and his record actually came out on September 11th, 2001. Um, so that, I can't remember the exact sequence of things, but that, because of that, that, that was kind of a little bit stagnant and I was about Mm -hmm. to join this band. Uh, that I can't remember the name of. I was so I was about to join a band. Um, so I left I left Jude's thing in in kind of September October two thousand one, and uh, I was about to join a band that was about to get signed. And at that point, a friend of mine called me and said, "Hey, I heard Alanis is auditioning drummers." So I called up Scott's management, Scott Welch's management company called Third Rail, and I said, "Hey, can I come in and audition?" And they said, "Thanks, but we have everybody that we want." You know, I think they probably thought I wasn't the right guy because this this gig that I've been doing with Jude was kind of a folky, um, pop thing, you right. know, kind of like Beck ask, but not but with less edge and, um, you know, kind of a falsetto voice. Like Jude is a very cool lyricist, you know, but it was just not a rock gig, you know, like right. a big rock gig. Um, so about three days later, 
at that time, I, my now wife, I was, I was dating her and she was living in New York. So I was in New York and they called me on a Sunday and I was in New York and they said, Hey, can you come in and audition, um, tomorrow? And I said, uh, and I was, I was flying home. I was about to fly home anyway, but I uh-huh. said, yep. You know, so I think I was t- maybe taking a red eye that night or something. So I flew home. I had three turns to learn Monday morning. I went in at 3 PM, uh, Monday day. And, you know, within a few hours I had the gig. So that was, that was late 2001. Right. Okay. So, so that's, sorry, I'm kind of screwing up the timeline here of of making it clear. (laughs) So I meet, I meet Barry Squire. Uh, I auditioned for him. I get the Jude gig. Jude's manager is Scott Welsh, who also manages Alanis. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that turns to be a good contact. So I get a hold of them. I audition for Alanis. I get that gig through Alanis. I meet Glenn Ballard. Um, and fortunately enough, Alanis would use her band members to record on her records, which is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that, I, I was able to do two, let's see, we did, we did Jagged Little Pill Acoustic. And we also did we did another kind of one-off recording with him producing, um, but basically, we, you know, I got to spend two weeks with him making this jagged little pill acoustic record, and I think at that point he's he you know he began to be able to trust me as a as a drummer, and then at some point when um, the Alanis gig ended in January of '96, a few months later they needed somebody he needed somebody to do this Adina Menzel record somebody. Somebody was not available, um, and my friend Joel uh, said, well, call Blair, and because I had worked with Joel, I think Glenn, I mean, sorry, because I had worked with Glenn, Glenn, Glenn thought, oh, yeah, right. I trust that guy, you know? And, 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 and Glenn that, is, I mean, he's, he's, Glenn's a major player. Exactly, yeah, so I went from, you know, recording this Adina Menzel record, and at the time, no one... Not many people knew who she was. She was still big on Broadway, but she, you know she wasn't the star she is today. Right. So I did that, and in the process of making that record, Glenn asked me if I would do his next record, which was Annie Lennox. Nice. So, and nice. you know, and then all of a sudden I was a semi-legitimate studio musician. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of my. Those are my stepping stones of of kind of. I got you. You know. M- my path to my career yeah yeah and glenn i think he started as a studio musician didn't he and glenn then... was always a writer um he moved to la in the late 70s and he started working for quincy jones mm-hmm. um yeah because he worked on thriller he worked on thriller he almost had a few tunes on thriller they cut them but they just didn't make the record yeah oh that he wrote yeah <sighs> yep that's yep. brutal yeah but he's all right yeah <laughs> 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 it's something okay. nice to hang your hat on though yeah i mean you know he got the he got the next one right man in the mirror he wrote man in the mirror so oh did he yeah that's his him, yeah i did not know that it's so it's yep. it's so amazing that from the outside world no one understands how the inner workings of it of, of the music is industry works and people writing all these tunes and you know like Bruno Mars started as a as a songwriter and wrote that FU tune for uh, CeeLo Green and all that stuff before, mm-hmm. you know, got didn't get picked up for a label three times, but was still writing tunes and, and right right. I always have this argument with my my sister in law about people not writing their own tunes. Yeah, she's like, no, they do, and I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, same thing with Pharrell, right? Like he had had some success, but that happy tune, apparently, he was trying to shop around to different people. In fact, I think he. From what I heard, or from what I remember, like CeeLo, that song was pitched to CeeLo, and he he said no, you know, he didn't he didn't want it. Oh, really? And then eventually Pharrell put it out on his own. Yeah, sir. I maybe I may be screwing that story up, but there, it's something like that. Yeah. Well, he, they were they were a production team. Who it was like NERD, right? He was part of that, wasn't he? Pharrell and and some other cat. Yeah. I yeah. Don't know his name. I probably should know his name, but yeah. Yeah, and they did like yeah. they were they were making beats and stuff. It's amazing. Oh, they yeah, they had had success with Justin Timberlake already, but yeah. like that was like a whole like that tune was like a whole another step to his, you know, like a oh, new yeah, it was everywhere new a new level to his career, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He steps yeah. into the steps into the forefront. Yeah. More with Blair in a minute, but first a word from our sponsors. 
This session is brought to you by my good friends at DW Drums and Don Lombardi, the owner of DW, actually introduced me to Blair Sinta. So this is a really cool connection. And that's just one one little inkling of the cool stuff that they do over there at DW. They're like a gigantic family and I would like you to check out their drums so maybe you can be part of that family as well. Head over to DWDrums.com to learn more about them and their history and the great products that they offer. Has your playing style become stagnant? You can enrich and broaden your knowledge of drumming styles through the drum performance courses offered by the Drum Program at Musicians Institute. You can play with a live band while you travel through a multitude of styles such as progressive metal, hip-hop, jazz, fusion, Latin, reggae, power pop, R&B, country, and dubstep. You can learn all about this at mi.edu. Now more with Blair Sinta. So you're flying back from where are you flying from New York to LA. You got to audition for for this Atlantis Morissette thing, mm-hmm. and I know that you feel comfortable with auditioning. But what were sort of what's going through your mind? Are you are you saying okay, I need to I need to show them how you know I need to show them my signature sound, or are you saying I'm gonna give I need to give them exactly sort of what the record sounds like? How what what's going through your mind there? Um, I think, I think what I felt like, you know, I vividly remember seeing Alanis on the MTV music awards. I think that was 95 and, and seeing Taylor for the first time Mm -hmm. and, and being like, wow, like, who is that dude? You know, like (laughs) he's like, what the fuck is happening there? That's amazing. You know? And then, and then, of course, Gary Novak had been doing it, and mm-hmm. Gary's, you know, we, we know. Uh, I don't know if you talked to Gary, but you I know, haven't. I lo- I would love to, but yeah, I, I mean, yet. Gary's he's just like a fucking monster, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just like, well, you know, where do I sit in between those guys? Because I, you know, um, I just felt like the, maybe the commonality between those guys was the the energy they brought to the gig, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that's what needed to come to, to the, to the, to the thing. And yeah, to me, it was all about going in there and like really rocking out and like, just stick into the, stick into the part, like playing the songs correctly, but really bringing a a good energy to it, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Um, and I think that's why I, I got the, the call eventually is because I, you know, I seemed to mesh with the, the, she was getting a whole new band at that point. So it turns out that when I went in, everyone that was in there, all, although I don't know if they had been told yet, they that was the what became the band. So I think when I came in, I really meshed with those guys. Um, and, you know, she was there, too, which was great. Um, that's a little, that's got to be a little nerve wracking, right? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, and we were in a very small room, like a very small room. Right. And I was kind of like, well, do I like play for the room, the size of this room or do I go for it, you know, mm-hmm. like volume wise? And I I was like, well, I'm just going to I'm going to do I'm going to stick with my plan and I'm just going to go for it, like just play loud, you know, and just br- try to bring energy, you know. Right. Um, right. Cuz so, I mean, I remember you know, we finished playing this tune uninvited and she's, you know, we finished she said, "Well, Nobody's played it like that before, you know, which, and it was, that was like a positive comment. Oh, like, you're okay, like, oh, is that good or bad? Is that good or bad? <laughs> no. Yeah. It was definitely, you know, it was, it was positive and I was like, okay, that's, that's good. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, um, I totally forget what I was just going to ask you, but, uh, we'll just keep it moving along. Okay. Uh, I, I was, there was a question I was going to ask you about the audition and it, and it totally slipped my mind. So, um, okay. <clears throat> But I want to. I want to talk the band, the band members that were in the room and like playing in a small room, like playing loud. That probably would have been a good question, but I'm not that. I'm not that quick. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> gotcha. Maybe we should flip flop this, and maybe you like you should just talk, and I'll just not. I'll just. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. So Nick, <laughs> went, let me tell me about some of your auditioning experiences. <laughs> so I was in this room, and I had to play really loud. And right, right, okay. Uh, so How'd let's that talk. Work out? What's that? <laughs> How'd that work I, out? I got the gig. It was cool. Cool. Right. On. All right. Good. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit about about style and versatility because there are, you know, I had Rodney Howard on here the other day. We were talking about, you know, the differences between being a generalist versus being someone who just focuses on one specific style and they, and they play that certain style, but you've done, yep. you run the gamut. You, you've, you play R&B, you play rock, you play, you know, jazz, all of that stuff. I want to mm-hmm. talk, we'll, we'll go, we'll go back in time a little bit. Um, in terms of the the practice and the approach to learning all of these styles and then now do you stay fresh with those styles or do you refresh them as you need them um i try to keep it under my belt somewhat Mm -hmm. um the past year in la i've been booking this gig at a at a kind of crappy little bar down here called the redwood and it's all improv it's like i call different friends and we and we just uh, it's there's literally no songs we just play um but i always call people that have you know jazz or improvisational backgrounds so it's it's quite musical i think you mm-hmm. know and sometimes you fall on your face because you're you're making it up as you go but i i needed to do that i needed that for my for my my headspace and my, I felt like my playing also, um, like a year ago, because there, there's a certain touch, there's a certain part of your brain that part of my brain that I wanted to keep alive that I felt like I was losing because I don't really play jazz anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I, and I miss it, you know, I miss that aspect of it. Um, so, I guess I, I'm keeping it up that way, but I definitely listen a lot. I, I would say I listen more to jazz. Well, I shouldn't say more, but I listen equally to to jazz as I um, as opposed to you know pop or rock music or R and B or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right, yeah. So how did you go about learning all of those styles? Because I think now it's you know it's easy to say, well, I just learned all these styles, but at the time. You're thinking, okay, what what should I learn? Should I be learning rock? Should I be learning funk? Should I be learning double pedal, jazz? What, and, and like, yeah. I need to learn all this stuff. How do I learn all of this sort of at the same time? Sure. Yeah, that's hard. Um, so when I, you know, in high school, I did play in the high school jazz band. Um, but I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, mm-hmm. I was into like the electric band and you know, anything that Vinny played on at the time, but not like traditional jazz. Like, uh, you know, I never really checked out Art Blakey or, or Philly Joe or any of those cats. So when I got to North Texas, that was like a kind of sink or swim. I remember the first week there being like, Oh man, I got to like, I literally got to put my, my rock records away and just like, you know, I had, you know, at the time walk, we had Walkman, right? So cassettes <laughs> and I'd just walk around campus listening to kind of blue or any, any of the old mile stuff, just trying to absorb that stuff. Um, and so I, I feel like the best way to learn styles is to listen a lot, obviously practice and play with people because especially with jazz, because it's improvis- improvisational music you can sit in your practice room as much as you want and you can get pretty good, but it's really about listening mm-hmm. and, and, and interacting with people. So you need to be out playing it. Um, right. And that's why North Texas was such a great environment is because people were there to play. You never know, wanted to be a player. Um, so, you know, but I definitely struggled with, well, I, you know, I still, I don't really want to be a jazz musician, you know, even though I was like, felt like to get through that program and survive, in that school, that's what I needed to do. Um, and you know, of course I was always, you know, I just, you know, like anybody, I loved Vinny and I was like, man, I want to be able to play like that and have that facility and everything. But then I loved Jeff Picaro also. And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, if I, I really want to have, you know, in, in my mind, I was like, I'd love to be able to work in studios, you know? So like, how do I spend all this time going like, you know, trying to figure out all that Vinny stuff and, and still have a pocket and not, and and of course I'm not saying that Vinny doesn't, that's not what I'm implying. I'm just, but at the time it it felt like a choice of like, what do I, what do I spend time doing? Like developing a shuffle or developing like, you know, a a bunch of crazy shit, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, so that was just, that was always a struggle in my head, you know, but I think in the end, 
you know, I kind of went like, wow, I just don't have the facility that Vinny does. And I'm not like this, uh, you know, I, I just didn't feel like I was that kind of player in the long right. run, you know, mm-hmm. and it just became more and more important to me, especially when I moved to L.A. and I started working, you know, um, like I discovered the Beatles finally, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, that was not until I was like about 23. I was like, oh, man. I love Ringo. I love the Beatles. Like yeah. I love this stuff. And 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 all those Stevie Wonder records, those those seventies um, Stevie Wonder records. That's when that stuff really hit me. And that's when like the idea of like kind of being one of those trying to be one of those drummers that can play all that that stuff kind of became less important right. to me. Right. You know. And I, I think that there is a a level, or I definitely think that there is a, a level of and I hate to use this word because it's such a buzzword, but, but self-awareness of, of who you are as a player, the, like you said, the facility. And I mean, like, I mean, I went through this for years of being like, Oh, I want to be this guy who has all these crazy chops and do all this. And I'm like, you know what? That's just not, I'm just not good at that. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. And uh, you know, everybody compliments me on my feel and my time. And, and that's right. That's cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd yeah. love to I have mean, vivid- Vinny Chops. <laughs> I just don't. Right. I vividly remember a day I was listening to Ellen Holdsworth's Secrets, like, you know, nonstop, you know, and trying to figure that stuff out. And then there was a day where I was like, wow, this is not going to happen. Like, I can't do this stuff, you mm-hmm. know, which is absurd because no one can do it except him, you know. <laughs> but but I thought, like, wow, maybe I should quit. You know, maybe maybe this is not. You know, that I just I could just I just know it's not that like I can't play like that. Right. Um, and I really thought like maybe that's it. Maybe I don't maybe I shouldn't be a drummer, you know. And mm-hmm. then I of course I was like, OK, well. That's not the answer, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, some, I, it kind of brought me some clarity, you know. Right. But and you, and you start to like, get that feedback. That like a, loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was a tough moment for me, like in my own head. But nobody else thought like. You know, that's, you know, at, at the little I was working then, you know, doing top 40 gigs and things like that. Nobody, nobody even thought of me that way anyway, at that point. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so it yeah. didn't really matter. It was just a mental thing, you know? And yeah. we tend to, to naturally gravitate towards things that we're good at. And we, and then we work on those things because we want to get better at them. And it's, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's just when you start to see the progress and you say, oh, okay, this is starting to come a little bit more naturally. This maybe I am this guy. This is the person who I am. I'm sure Vinny didn't sit down and say, I'm going to be this guy who can play in all these crazy time signatures. And do I'm just, it's just what he did, you know? Yeah, it, it it came very natural to him, right? You know, from what I've heard, you know, right. those kind of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it was also interesting to be be at school at that time with with different players and watch how different guys were developing different things, you know. And that was that was quite eye opening. And you know, there was. There was this guy named Andrew Griffith uh, who was like, um, man, he was this – I don't know where he is now. I think he's still in Texas from what I heard, but he's like just this – he was like an old soul, man, and that guy could swing like – you know, he was like an old jazz drummer when he was like 19, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, that's amazing. And he would work all the time, you know, because he just had this thing already, right. you know? Um so, you know, and it wasn't, you know, and I was there with, with Keith Carlock and like, mm-hmm. you know, Keith was like working on his thing and, and to see that going down, it was like, well, I can't do that either. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to be able to do this, that. <laughs> yeah. There's this other, but there's this other, you know, other guys that obviously couldn't play like Keith, you know, that were, were also working and doing things, you know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, Keith definitely has his own, his thing, you know? And, yeah. And he always did. He always, yeah. he did from the from the day I got there, you know, watching him, you know, he always did. So, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, I would love to hear what he sounded like when he was, you know, 18, 19 years old. He just has this, I feel like he's just like floating on top of the drums all the time. You know, he has yeah. like this bounce, yeah. this just, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to, you know, to, to know what, what he, what that was like at that time, you know, I'll save that for whenever you talk to him and, you know, but, right. I mean, I, I've oh. had him on, but I didn't. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. I guess I didn't go yeah. into what he sounded like when he was 18, you know, because I yeah. mean, you could put on, I could put on anything with Keith Carlock on it and I'm like, okay, that's Keith. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is. But there were different phases, phases of, of, of what he was doing. I don't feel like I should be, <laughs> I'm not the guy to be talking about it, but right. you know, I watched it all, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, uh, he came out on the other end uh, pretty good, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So what a um, what are, what are you working on now? Are you are you home for a while? Are you, I know that you were just down at Drum Channel. You were doing some lessons there, and I know that you teach privately. So I suggest that if anyone's in the LA area, they should they should look you up, or you do over Skype as well, right? Yeah, I do Skype also. Yeah. Um, right now I'm home. Um, I'm working out of my home studio a lot. Um, I'm working around town. You know, I'm doing this improv gig here and there. I'm teaching more than I than I have in the past, which is which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I'm not, there's no touring plans at the moment. Um, I'm really trying to, to develop, um, kind of a, a, an awareness of, of, of what I feel I'm good at, um, in the, in the kind of drumming community, which, you know, like getting, getting sounds in the studio and, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually having people come over and take lessons with me now. I had a guy over here yesterday and he brought two snare drums over and we, we literally spent the whole time like working on different tunings for these snares and trying to get them to sound a particular way. Really? Um, yeah. So people are starting to seek me out for those kind of things, which, which I love. Um, because a lot of the thing that I'm doing in the studio when I'm recording for people is I'm trying to document and I'm, I'm trying to build up my whole YouTube thing. I'm trying to document like how I'm getting to this, this place of these sounds, mm-hmm. um, and, and why the choices I'm making and why. And then of course, you know, ultimately these, these are all for people's songs. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as a drummer, I'm doing the best job I can as a, as a professional, but I'm also trying to educate people in, in that side of things, you know, because, right. you know, I, I, I just feel like, the, the sound that we get, like we make sound for a living. Like when you, when you really break it down, it's like, what, what do we do? We play drums, but, but we're, we're creating sound in the world. Right. So like, I, I want to have a very, you know, it, it took me a long time to figure out what I really, how to pinpoint what I like in, in sounds and, and stylistically what that is. So mm-hmm. I try to talk to people about like, you know, developing style is not all just chops. It's, it's about the sound that you create, you know? Right. Um, and that's your choice of symbols, your choice of where you tune drums, um, things that you may combine, you know, in, in, inside, like creating textures inside those things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole world in there that, uh, is really fascinating, um, to me. And, you know, I feel like that's a good niche for me, you know, to be able to, you know, help people dive into those things and, and help to, you know, start to think about those things on their own. You right. Know? And, you know, I think that that is for you, that's such a strong suit. And, you know, frankly, I've always struggled with that, which is so it's like the complete opposite of, of what you're doing. You know, I have <clears throat> I've always had issues getting the sounds that I want or like tuning drum. I'm just not, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just not. I mean, sure, I can get my drums to sound great, you know, but like, yeah, it's not a, it's not one of my strong suits. And luckily, mm-hmm. I had the, I had the pleasure of becoming really good friends with a guy named Dylan Wissing, who's a studio drummer, and he does a lot of work with like he did the last John Legend song and all that stuff. But this mm-hmm. guy's really good at the same thing. You are getting these great sounds, so I've learned a little bit from him. But even now, mm-hmm. I just bought this new kit, and I'm thinking, okay, how, you know, how can I get inside of making this thing sound good and what are some maybe some advice that you may have for getting better sounds and and you know if you hear something on a record how to sort of break it down to say oh okay they're using a you know a six and a half by 14 snare or whatever it is right well some of that i'll save because that's you know how i make money but (laughs) but i'll (laughs) give all of your secrets away right now yeah um but what I will say is a lot of this development um, for me was getting like uh, touring, but having a uh, like a, a rental kit every day, uh-huh. um, like being like doing fly dates and things like that. So I show up. I'm a DW guy. So here's a DW's collector's kit. And who knows who played it yesterday, you know, and how they had it tuned and things like that. And so I'm on a particular gig which who knows, like it could have been, it could be any, like any artist, like who knows, you know, but like, number one, how do I get it to, this kit to sound like me? 
you know, stylistically and, right. and how I feel comfortable. Um, and two, is it fitting the music that we're doing? Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a big pet peeve of mine these days is that there's, there's house kits everywhere in every club you go into in LA, although it's, uh, it's really nice that, you know, you don't have to park and hump your gear in and out of the club and that's a luxury. Like, you know, I, to me, it really drives me nuts that like, if you're in a, if you're in a band like you're walking in and you're playing the same drum kit that this other dude did. And the, the configuration is basically the same. And maybe you're bringing your own snare and cymbals, but like that's not helping the character of the band or the character of you as a player, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you do with this, you know, whatever brand kit that's sitting there, how do you make it become at least somewhat you in the 10 minutes you have to, to set up and play? Right. Um, and I really think that's important, you know, mm -hmm. and we're, like this day and age, everything is so homogenized, like, okay, here's your drum kit, you know, like, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a pedal board for a guitar player and say, here's your two screamer and here's your rat pedal and here's your tuner. Now go play all your songs. Right. Through that. Right. It's like a guitar would be like, like, that's not what I use, you know, it's I like, that's who not I was my talking thing. to and said that like, like, yeah, every drummer just you know, they're starting to sound the same. Like nobody's, you know, tuning their kits differently and nobody's use everybody's using like the same symbols, the same kit, the same setup and everything. And they, I forget who it was. I don't remember, but they were saying, you know, when Steve Gadd showed up on the scene, like he had his, his sound, he had his style, you know? Yeah. I mean, every great drummer, they have, they have technical things, chops, licks, groove that, where you know it's them, but they also have a very signature sound, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, part of my goal, I, my goal as a, as a, as a player and becoming more of an educator is, is to help people explore that. I can't tell you what to do, but I can, I can give you good paths on how to figure out, figure out who you are right. in, in those terms. Mm -hmm. Um, and man, I, I, man, I love doing that stuff. I, I, so it's so fun to me, you know, because I, you know, that's why I love being in a studio so much. I'm like a total tweaker on like, man, this is just, these are not the right hi-hats for this tune. Right. You know, right. like, like, and if, there, if something is not quite right, it, it like eats at me. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> what, what does this need to be? You know, and uh -huh. the, that's something I discovered, um, a lot like, and it just took me a long time to learn, but like going on jam sessions, when I first moved to LA, I'd be going to jazz jam sessions. And, um, you know, Earl Palmer used to do this jam session and Earl Palmer had this blue Yamaha recording kiss custom kit with pinstripes on it. And, you know, I sat in there a few times and I could not play the guy's drums. You really? Know? Like he said, he sounded amazing. Of course. But like to me, when I would sit down and play, they were like dead and thuddy. And like, I had a hard time getting around the drums and like, just sonically, I, it just like totally messed with me. And it, it took me a while to realize that like, for me to do a gig properly, I need the drums to sound correct for me to feel like I'm doing the correct job. Even mm -hmm. if I'm playing the part right and everything, if everything sounds wrong to me, the whole thing is wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And yeah. that is the perfect segue to if you want to learn, you know, more about this stuff, if you want to really dive into sounds and, and learn all of that stuff or technique coordination, you know, concepts, career advice, anything, I encourage you to check out Blair's website. It's just BlairSinta.com. And I'll put that, I'll put everything in the show notes so that, that people can check it out. They can contact you. Uh, and also I'll grab some of your YouTube videos to put on there. Cause I've seen some of the documenting that you're doing, uh, with getting Great, the sounds thanks. and all that. Of course. Yeah. I try to put, I'm trying to put a lot of stuff on Instagram so you could kind of get an idea quickly of like what, where I'm going, but that stuff's on my website too. So cool. what's yeah, your, what's your yeah. Instagram handle? So everybody has it. it. It's just, it's same. Everything's Blair Sinta. That's so easy. So B L A I R S I N T A. Sweet. Perfect. Yep. Well, Blair, yeah. thank you for for taking the time to chat, man. It was it anytime, was man. I'm glad we great met. Great to yeah. get to know. Yeah, I'm. Thank you, Don Lombardi, for connecting. I was at a meeting in his office. And he goes, "Oh, do you want to go meet Blair since?" I said, "Absolutely, let's go do it." So, yeah, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. So, yeah, man, have me back anytime. You know, I know you got a I lot would, of people may, to get through, but maybe we but, can do like you know some sort of some sort of soundscape thing or talk about sounds or something. I don't know. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we could, we could figure something. <laughs> I love out. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good deal. Yeah. Well, Blair, thank All you right. again, dude, and uh, I will I will definitely be in touch soon. 
Thanks, man. All right, Take care. Thanks, brother. All right, bye. So there you have it, the one and only Blair Sinta. If you would like to connect with Blair or check out any of the show notes that we talked about, you can visit drummersresource.com forward slash session 272. Also, if you dig the podcast, please consider supporting it by going to drummersresource.com forward slash support. And there you can support a dollar a month, $2 a month, $5 a month, as high as you would like to go. You also get special perks and things like that for being a part of that great community. And every little bit helps while, you know, you may only be able to swing a dollar or two a month, but every single bit helps. I would appreciate it if you did the higher tiers, but like I said, a dollar a month, $2 a month, whatever you can swing, that is cool. You can do that by going to drummersresource.com forward slash support. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.